This podcast is sponsored by the new Figurative Art Convention and Expo. Finally, there is a conference just for the figurative world. It includes hands-on workshops and demos from masters like Jacob Collins, Juliet Aristides, Daniel Graves, Max Ginsberg, Stephen Assail, Ryan Brown, Daniel Gerhartz, Graydon Parrish, Jordan Sokol, John Coleman, Michael Mintler, Patricia Watwood, and Gregory Mortensen. Plus, they have added in the track conference at the same time, all for one price. You can learn more about FACE at figurativeartconvention.com. Hello, everybody. My name is Danny Grant. I am an artist, a drawing and painting instructor. I live in Austin, Texas, and I would like to welcome you back to the studio. This is the place where I interview and talk shop with other professional artists, and we get an inside glimpse into their daily lives as professional artists. On this episode, I talked with landscape painter and the founder of the Landscape Atelier, Deborah Paris. I really liked this interview. I particularly enjoyed her answer to my question about the pluses and minuses of the solo show for artists. It's um, it's moments like that, that that make me really love doing this podcast. And um, there are actually many moments like that in during this interview. So um, please enjoy my conversation with Deborah Paris. All right, today I have artist Deborah Paris on the show with me. Deborah, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you, Danny. I'm happy to be here. All right. Um, so let's see. Um, you're in Clarksville, Texas. I don't want to talk too much about that because I have some questions about that. But that is just to kind of get people oriented to to where you're working out of. That's kind of in the northeast part far northeast part of texas is that correct that's right that's right it's in the extreme northeast corner of texas so we're really just about oh 15 miles from oklahoma okay and um you know that sort of thing so yeah we're we're in a rural part of the state and then the northeast corner of the state so a little bit northeast of dallas i guess Oh, definitely. Okay. North and way, way east of Dallas. We're way about east. two and a half hours from Dallas. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All righty. Um, all right. So uh, let's let's talk about um, my favorite topic, uh, artists' <laughs> daily schedules. Um, okay. So what, what does it look like on a daily basis um, in Deborah Paris's world? Okay. Well, I get up about about a half an hour before dawn. And I am usually out the door about 10 to 15 minutes before the sun comes up at least. Oh, wow. And okay. I, I walk for about 45 minutes in the morning. Nice. Try to do that uh, every day. Obviously, sometimes weather and other things interfere, but pretty much try to do that every day. So that's actually a really, really important part of my work and mm-hmm. part of part of what I do every day, which is to spend time in nature and to um, look at the landscape. And that's, mm-hmm. so that's the way I start my day. And 
um, you, once I come back in and go ahead. Um, sorry, I was just going to, I was just wondering if you take uh, a sketchbook or anything to kind of re record your thoughts while you're, while you're out on that walk. I, I don't, I don't actually, okay. I'm a big believer in, um, in observation. And one of the things that's very important in my work is um, using prolonged observation and then also memory as part of uh, the way that I work and also what I teach. So it's mm. really all about looking for me. I start the day looking and, and I also end the day the, the same way. I mm. pretty much go out towards the end of the day uh, a little bit before sunset or sometimes a little bit after and, and, and doing the same sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Nice. And is this just, um, you know, I guess I, I can imagine it just sort of like, you know, keeps you connected, um, just keeps your thoughts in that, you know, in that world of, of, of creating landscape paintings and um, just keeps you connected to that. Um, but uh, during this time, are you sort of looking for things? Are you just sort of appreciating nature? Um, or are you specifically looking for things uh, to add to paintings or, you know, you know, is it about creating new paintings or or just sort of appreciating nature? Well, actually, that that's a great question, because I I try to spend at least a part of my time in nature simply having an experience of it. It, mm -hmm. not connected in any way to an art making goal. So mm -hmm. without, without looking for a motif, for example, or thinking about how I would mix that color or how I might recompose that scene, mm -hmm. it, you know, leaving all of those, leaving the picture making side of my brain, you know, back at the house, so to mm -hmm. speak, and simply trying to have an experience of nature. Yeah. Um, and I actually, I, I call that pure seeing, and it's something that I spend a lot of time talking with my students about. It, it is also something that eventually works into the idea of working from memory. Mm -hmm. So I will spend other times out in nature where I'm more specifically working to either look for a motif to paint or to find uh, a particular reference, like a tree or something that I'm mm -hmm. particularly interested in, including in a, in a painting. So I'll go out to draw that tree or uh, to look at it specifically again, or to see it in a particular light. But my morning walk is not for that purpose. It's really more about spending time in nature, looking at it with, um, looking at it simply from the standpoint of having having an experience of it rather than really trying to be in a picture-making mode. Yeah, that's great. So it's kind of like, um, I guess, sort of a, like a daily meditation for you. Would you, would you characterize it that it, way? Yeah. Well, I, I, I would. It's, it's definitely about being present mm -hmm. and looking. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm constantly trying to, to some degree, keep my head quiet so that I can concentrate on what I'm really looking at. You know, Thoreau said, what, if, what am I doing in the woods if I'm thinking of something out of the woods? Mm -hmm. And so that's, 
that's kind of my mantra in the sense that I try to keep my thoughts quiet if I find myself, you know, right. lingering on on something that I've got to do that that day or the dentist appointment next week or mm-hmm. whatever it might be. Yeah. I try to bring myself back to what I'm looking at and and to be very conscious of that. And do you even um, catch yourself or, or let's say you start analyzing, you know, um, you start analyzing uh, the light coming through the leaves on a tree or, or, you know, and you start, (laughs) you start kind of bringing that into thinking about it in terms of painting. Do you, do you sort of stop yourself from doing that and just, and just appreciate that? Try to just appreciate seeing it. I do. I do actually. I, 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 to a very large degree, I find that a little more difficult than the other, but, mm-hmm. but yes, I do try to not let myself drift off into that sort of, I call it picture making mode. Um, so that I'm not losing track of the, the bigger experience that I'm having. There's, there's a time and place, at least for me, there's a time and place for that sort of thinking mm-hmm. and that sort of, analytical way of looking at the landscape, but I want this, this time not to really be about that. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds awesome. I, I think I would really like to start my day like that too. <laughs> um, okay. So, so you take your walk um, and, and then what happens after that? Well, I spend the first couple of hours uh, after that working on uh, my online teaching. So, and I know you want to talk about that a little bit later, but that mm-hmm. that's kind of one of the things that I do first thing in the morning. Okay. Uh, look at look at what students have posted overnight, and and also see what I need to do um, in terms of uh, posting material or or responses for the day. And then I'm usually in the studio by about nine thirty or ten. Um, if it's a day I'm going to spend in the studio, then I'll be in the studio about nine 30 or 10. And when you say, when you say the studio, is that your, your personal studio or. uh, That's right. Yeah, that's right. And, um, and I'm in the studio usually till, till about five o'clock. Nice. And, um, so, and then evenings, I usually spend another couple of hours working on, um, teaching. Okay. Teaching students, um, teaching students who are with you in the studio. Teaching students who are learning, who are in online. Okay. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I spend, I spend two or three hours, sometimes more obviously, but just an average day. I spend two, say two to three, maybe four hours sometimes on, 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 on teaching and then the rest of the time usually during the day is my studio time. Okay. So that sounds like a, uh, a, a nice, um, you know, distribution of time between teaching and, and working on your own work. Is that, you know, are you happy with the, with the way that breaks down as far as how much time you can spend on your own personal work and versus teaching? Um, I am generally, I feel very lucky in that regard because Mm -hmm. it's, um, you know, we're all trying to figure out a way to make a living and uh, (laughs) it's 
I enjoy teaching and and it's an important part of my life, but I have been able to organize it in a way that allows me to have a lot of time to do my own work, whether that's in the studio or outdoors. And that's really important to me. I think one of the mm-hmm. things that's really important for all of us is to guard our studio time to allow yourself to have enough time to, to get your work done. And -hmm. I think that's also a gift that you give not only to yourself, but to your students, because um, that's, that's an important part of what you're able to, to give them as a teacher. Um, How so? I I guess I'm not quite following the, 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 well, the gift that I think you give your you, students. Well, I think as a working artist, you mm-hmm. have a lot to tell your students. I think oh, right. If, if, right, right, right. If they're not, if if you're spending, you know, eighty percent of your time teaching and not a whole lot of time doing your own work, or you're only able to do your own work on the weekends or right, right, whatever right. it might be, then I think, um, and and you know, if that's what you have to do, then that's what you have to do. But I think. I think students do get, I try to share with my students what I'm doing in my own work, the the things that I'm working on, the shows that I'm getting ready for, or the Mm -hmm. projects that I'm involved in, and how I manage a lot of, for example, in the Atelier program, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, we we talk about studio practice and and Mm -hmm. management of time and how to organize your studio and Mm-hmm. all of those things. So I think being able to show them this, this can work. This is something you can do. I think it's, I think it's a good, good example mm-hmm. for your students to be able to see. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. I mean, and that, that helps to sort of, um, yeah, no, I mean, I, you're right. They have to see that, um, that this is all going towards, you know, being a professional and not just learning, not just kind of learning the stuff. And then, and then you go, and you go on and get your accounting degree or whatever. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, I think it's, you know, I think it's imperative to, if, if someone is interested in being a professional artist and, and they've chosen you as a teacher, mm-hmm or a mentor, I think it's really important to give them what they need. I think it's important to not only teach them the craft of, of painting and drawing, but I think it's also important to help them figure out what it is they really want to do in their work, but also how to do it. I mean, how to mm-hmm. actually manage it in the real world, how to set up a studio, how to organize their time, how to best... Um, begin a career, all of those things. I yeah, think it's, important. oh, definitely. I mean, that's, um, you know, there's some criticism, I think, of, of ateliers for not, for not doing a whole lot of that. Um, and, and I think, you know, to some degree, it's, it's, it's justified. Um, but it's a hard thing to do. So what's, you know, what's some of the advice or, um, you know, when you talk about those things with your students, is it, 
are you sort of sharing things sort of as they come up or do you or have you sort of laid out a, a, a systematic approach to say okay when you finish here this is the kind of you know these are the first steps you want to make as a professional well in um both there mm-hmm. are things for for the students first of all i would make a distinction that i have the vast majority of my students are students that are enrolled in online classes and they're not in a they're not in an overall program they're taking okay. individual classes uh now many of them end up taking all of my classes and spend end up studying with me for you know maybe a year and a half or two years but they're not actually in a more structured program. The students that are in a more structured program are the ones that I'm able to kind of take from the beginning to the end. And one of the things that we do as part of that program is to have the last trimester of their study as an independent study where they create a body of work, which is going to be eight to 10 pieces. And we go through the process of creating a body of work which is also something that I think people need to learn how to do and, mm-hmm. and how, how to organize a project like that and how to decide what to do and how to start and what they should be doing along the way and how to keep track of all the various parts, moving parts of doing a project like that. Because, you know, when you get out, that's what you're doing. I mean, you're creating a body of work to, submit to your first gallery or a body mm-hmm. of work for a show or a body of work for, uh, you know, some sort of grant or, you know, other, other kind of event yeah. that you might be interested in. So that's one of the things that we do in, in the program. And then we also have um, essentially where we talk about, as I said, studio practice, where we talk about, how you might set up your studio, how you might organize your work day, mm-hmm. how you might organize all your reference material. One of the things that, you know, as landscape painters, you end up with, you know, 14 sketchbooks that have all the different drawings of all the different things that you've looked at over the last two years and how yeah. to organize all that material and bring it together when you're trying to create large scale studio pieces, for example all of that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And then also there are some ideas that I'm able to share about productivity, how about keeping track of your work and how to keep yourself moving forward and um, that kind of thing. So there's quite a bit, there's quite a bit of that 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 we discuss. You know, it seems really like, um, half of what you really like half of what you teach or what you should teach um is is that stuff i mean it's well i think what happens is a lot of people don't know where to go or don't know what to do they they get out of art school or they graduate from a program in university or whatever it might be and then what is the next step? How do I set up a studio? Mm -hmm. How do I find someone to represent my work? How does that even, you know, there's 
now there's a proliferation of stuff online, obviously, for mm-hmm. people to read about how do you approach a gallery and how do you do this and how do you do that. So there's a there's a lot more information out there than there used to be. There, right. No doubt about that. Right. But I do think that if you have undertaken to teach someone and to uh, give them the kind of training or uh, mentoring that that goes along with that, that that's part of what you need to need to teach them. It's part of what you need to show them. And everyone has a different come comes to a different way of organizing the business side of their of their art career. But mm-hmm. it's very helpful to hear hear options and possibilities and the way things could work and things that have worked and things that haven't worked. <laughs> All of that, and right. to have someone give you the have you have somebody give you the benefit of that experience. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know that just brings into mind uh, something I'd like to ask you is um, what were some of the things that, let's say, as you were kind of going through that journey that that didn't work so well, and then some of the things that did. Well, um, let's see. Um, you mean when I was first starting out as a pro- professional mm-hmm. artist? Yeah, exactly. Like, okay. um, and and you know, also, also, I wanted to ask you. Um, I guess you know one of the one of the most clear things to do is you know you finish school and you and you start approaching galleries. But do you have any advice um, as like what might what might be an alternative uh, to kind of going the gallery route that you might, um, the, you know, some advice you might give to students if, if, or, you know, or do you think that's really, um, you know, the only way to go? I, I don't think it's the only way to go, particularly now. It pretty yeah. much was when, right. when I was trying to do it, it. There really were not all that many options. And that was what you did. Mm-hmm. You, went out and tried to find galleries and, and to get your work out there. And I, and I still think that there's, uh, that that's probably the, the major way that most artists try to sell their work and, and to build a career. But I think there are many other options now that were not available then. And, and I see now that many artists are able to, to not only have gallery representation, for example, but, to sell their work directly to collectors, maybe even sell work online, mm-hmm. uh, go and sell work in other, you know, in other venues as well. Um, for many years, I did a lot of uh, plein air shows. And mm-hmm. uh, so I was selling work in galleries, but I was also doing maybe three or four, sometimes more plein air shows every year. So, and I was also doing, say, two or three invitational museum shows where, okay. you know, a museum, a museum will have a, a, a small work show during the fall or the holiday season, or they'll have, you know, some other kind of invitational show. Mm-hmm. So that, that provided me with um, different events and different venues where my work could be seen and purchased and that was really helpful because mm-hmm. it it smooths out the you know the inevitable 
ups and downs of the market. You may have a gallery that sells your work really well for a while and then they stop selling it or they don't sell as much or they maybe it's a seasonal gallery. They only sell well in the summer, mm-hmm. uh, that sort of thing. So I think trying to build uh, a number of uh, ways to get your work out there and a way ways for it to be seen and to be purchased and mm-hmm. you know to to be in the places where collectors are more likely to see it is is an important way of thinking about building a career diversifying uh in in the sense of uh, having lots of different options and places so you might you know if you've got two or three galleries and you've got three or three or four other events that are all coming up within a six month period, you're, you don't have all your eggs in one basket, Right. more likely to sell more, but also to kind of insulate yourself from those big up and down sort of things that can wreak havoc with paying the bills on time. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, so, I was uh, the the first part of that question was that sort of uh, encapsulated in there in in that you you know you went kind of and did the uh, the plain air uh, uh, festivals and that kind of thing. Were those some of the things that you were kind of exploring as you're sort of like finding your way? Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I that was that was definitely a direction that my work was going in for a while. And it was also a a good way for me to get my work out there. And um, I made connections while I was doing that. I met people and uh, was able to, um, you know, gain gallery representation or make other connections Mm. through, through those is that, is that the kind of setup where you where you have a tent and people are just sort of lined up like that kind of a deal? No, okay. normally it's it's a it's a uh, I'm talking about shows like the Laguna Plain Air show and the Sedona show and the Carmel. Okay, uh, you know there I'm not I haven't done those shows. Tell you right, I haven't done those shows in a number of years, but um, they're usually sponsored by a, a group or an organization. Uh, they organize the show and invite artists to come and the venues the venues vary depending on the organization that's doing the show sometimes a venue is a a gallery or even a museum the laguna show used to be at the laguna art museum for example Hmm. um and um so that that varies and then um you show up and you paint for a week usually on location and then that work is is the work that is um exhibited and sold at the end of the week and usually there's a quick draw which is you know where you basically paint for an hour or two hours or something and then that that piece is sold separately and different shows have um different formats but that's mm-hmm. it's you know kind of a, a fairly well-known way that landscape painters um, uh, show and sell their work. And so that was something that I, that I did for a number of years when I was first starting out. And also because my work, my work was 
sort of oliprima direct landscape okay. painting at that time, which which it isn't any longer. Yeah. And so when my when my when my personal work began to change, then I needed to I needed to also change the 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 um needed to change that particular situation because right. I wasn't really doing that kind of work any longer. So then I started looking for, you know, different kinds of venues that would make more sense for the kind of work that I was doing and was interested in doing. So that was kind of more. And that's the, that, that, that's the other thing is yeah. that, you know, over, over the course of your career, your work changes and right. the things that you do and the way that you do it, not only technically how you create your work, but also what you're interested in, what you want to do with your work, all those things change mm-hmm. and they should through the course of your career. And so you're always reinventing your career a little bit as you go along because your, you know, your, your old collectors may not be interested in the new work or they may be hopefully, but yeah. you're hopefully getting new collectors, different galleries may be interested in the work that you're doing now Mm-hmm. as opposed to what you were doing five or 10 years ago, um, all of that. So it, it isn't static. It isn't a situation where you get out there, you get yourself a couple of galleries and then that's it. It's all right. Yeah. You know, it's all done. <laughs> you know, yep. you're always, you're always having, uh, having to um, make adjustments mm-hmm. both on the business side of what you're doing, but obviously also on the creative side of what you're doing. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, because, yeah, as soon as you start to want to kind of do something a little bit different than what you've been doing for the past several years, um, yeah, all the all the dominoes fall. you got to find new places to sell that work, new people to be interested in that work. Um, so, Absolutely. You're going you're gonna to yeah. get pushback. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted you're to ask you what back. what was it like when you when you kind of made that transition? Was there a period of time where you know, you just, you're, you were making less money because you had to, you you know, being in the, in the middle of making that kind of a transition. Well, that actually happened to me twice. Um, because yeah. when I first, when I first started, I was working in pastel. That was my primary oh, wow. medium. And I had had a good deal of success in pastel and gotten some attention magazine articles and a few other things. And, and I'd actually, um, you know, been, been doing fairly well, but I, I wanted, I knew I wanted to make a transition to, um, painting in oil and Mm -hmm. that wasn't really that. So that was, there were two things that had to happen. First of all, I had to, I had to um, technically get my work up to the same level in, in that medium. Yeah. But then I also had to find uh, people who would be interested in that work as opposed to people who were interested in it because they wanted a pastel artist or they liked that work or mm-hmm. whatever. And then the second time that that happened was more recently uh, in the last 10 years that um where I went from working in a very direct Prima sort of way and got very interested in indirect painting and working uh, in a completely different way technically and also because not necessarily because the, the technical thing didn't drive it, but actually what I 
what I wanted to do with my with my work and where I wanted my work to go, and then the technical part of it just had to follow that. So that yeah. uh, the the look of my work changed quite a bit as well, and so that was another transition period where uh, I was, you know, needing to find uh, different galleries and new collectors yeah. <laughs> who were interested who were interested in that work so yeah and it it it's a and i think what happens and and i completely understand is that you many people some people decide that they can't do that and so they end up making the same kind of work for a, you know over a longer period of time because right there because it's it's um what they need to do financially mm-hmm. and um i i i didn't make that choice um and it's also you know one of the great things about teaching because it it can really help when you when you have those um periods where you're making that kind of transition and maybe your your painting sales aren't as strong as they were you know 2 or 3 years ago Mm-hmm. It sort of fills in the gaps between, you know, between those ups and downs. So yeah. I never, I, I would, I, I wanted always to have to feel like I was able to do the work the way I wanted to do it, and yeah. the kind of work. And it was very important. It's always been very important to me to do that. And and eventually, you find, you find new galleries or new events and um, other yeah. collectors and it all works out. It yeah. just takes a little time to get through that transition. So it sounds like you didn't have much hesitation to kind of go in a new direction. Um, was there, was there any, you know, was that in the back of your mind? Uh, you know, the, the idea that, you know, well, it's going to take a little time to build this up and I'm, you know, financially, I might take a hit. Was that was that ever a consideration for you, or or were you, did you kind of charge full speed ahead? Well, both. I mean, it, yeah. I, I I did know, and you know, my husband was you know on several occasions said, <laughs> you know, what are we doing? You know, why are, yeah. <laughs> why are we doing this? But things are going um, so well, but, honey. Can yeah, we just can, keep yeah, doing why, this? Why? Yeah. Why are we doing this? Um, but no, I mean, actually, he's he's incredibly supportive, and mm-hmm. and when I do make a change in what I'm doing, and and um, I'm very lucky in that way. But yeah, I mean, I, I certainly was aware of what the risk would be, mm-hmm. but I also felt like I. I mean, it didn't really seem like an option not to. This is what I wanted to do with my work, and it was important to me, so I was going to do it. And mm-hmm. and like I said, um, you know, having other streams of income through teaching uh, is something that can really be useful when when you're going through one of those periods. Yeah. So, at what point in your career did you start teaching? Um. Well, I, I started teaching pretty early on, I think. Um, but, you know, just kind of doing 
a workshop here and there, okay, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then probably about, oh, I'd say maybe 15 years ago, I started doing more workshops and I was um, teaching out of my studio um, before we moved to Texas that we were living in New Mexico and I was teaching out of my studio okay. there on a pretty regular basis. And then when we moved here, um, when I started developing my online classes and, and so the last 10 years have really been when I've been doing the most teaching mm-hmm. and, um, but also actually had the most freedom to do my own work as well, simply because I am doing a lot of my teaching online. So yeah, I'd say, you know, I'd say the last 10 years have been, been, when I've been doing the most teaching, I've probably been 20 years for, you know, over the whole entire time. Right. Right. <clears throat> so you're really, um, kind of a, uh, uh, sounds like kind of a trailblazer in the, uh, in the online teaching world. I mean, you know, you, you say you've been doing that for about 10 years or so. Well, we moved here about 10 years ago and I think I started doing it about, eight years ago. I, okay. I, I was actually trying to figure that out before we got on the phone today because I couldn't remember exactly whether it was 2008 or 2009, but mm-hmm. it was one of those. Mm-hmm. And that was when I started teaching my first online classes and um, just started out just teaching a couple of classes at, you know, every, you know, every three or four months or something. And then it just, sort of mushroomed and mm-hmm. got to be a much bigger thing. And um, so over the last eight or nine years, it's really, it's really grown. And, and um, yes, I think I was, I, I don't know if I was the first person teaching yeah. landscape painting online, but I think I was probably one of the first people yeah. um, doing it. And so it's been a really, um, it's been a really interesting thing. And, um, you know, it was one of those things you just didn't know when you first started how this, how it was going to work out and if it was going to be something that would, you know, people would be interested in or that you could feel like you could do it in a Mm -hmm. way that was really useful to people, which is an important thing. Right. And, um, so yeah, so pretty much, you know, all of those questions were answered in the positive. So that was, that's, that's been good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what were the, what were, how do you start something like that? What was, how did you do it? Like, how did you reach the people? How did you get the students? Um, you know, who were you, what kind of, um, I don't know, was there a certain demographic you were targeting or how, just how did it get off the ground? Well, it, it kind of happened sort of, organically in the sense that I had been writing a blog for okay. a couple of years and I had, um, you know, I had, I had a reasonably good following and, and I was, I was also teaching, I was traveling to teach workshops. I was having a workshop here at my studio, uh, once a year. And I was also traveling a bit to, to teach workshops and, um, but I didn't really want to travel all the time because that's such mm-hmm. a disruption to getting yeah. your own work done. And so, um, 
so my husband is actually the one that said to me, you know, what if you could do it online? And yeah. I actually, you know, originally thought, well, I don't know how that could work. And, you know, I dilly dallied a bit <laughs> with it, but eventually <clears throat> I thought, well, I'll just try one class and see how it works. And so most of the original students of my online classes came from people who were reading my blog at that mm-hmm. time. And so that, that sort of created a, uh, I don't even think I, I don't even think I was on Facebook at that point. I, I don't even yeah, probably I not. remember. I don't, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. yeah. So, um, it was really, it was really people who had found, found my blog and were reading my blog on a regular basis and started signing up for the classes. And as I said, I taught one or two and, then it seemed to be something that people enjoyed and and I liked it because it gave me, as I said, a lot of freedom in terms of my own personal work. And so I started doing more of it and developing more classes and kind of an, you know, a larger curriculum and Mm -hmm. all that kind of thing, all of which took a number of years to happen. So that was the original, that was the original place where my students came from and then um since then i they you know i've developed a mailing list and um you know so i'm 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 able to reach people through social media and right. uh, email email newsletters and that kind of thing mm-hmm. but but originally it all sort of grew out of out of the blog and and the information that I was giving on the blog and the interest that people showed in it. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting how blogs at that time were were such a great tool to kind of, you know, get the word out about about your work and and um you know, have have people follow your work and and build a mailing list and that kind of thing. And then now it seems like they're almost totally gone. Like I guess when Facebook and you know things like that came around, those those sort of became the new blogs. But unfortunately, they're they're you know they're so much less personal and less um, you know, and you can't focus just on one person. You just you you know you happen to see what they do or you don't happen to see it. I guess. <laughs> But um, well, that's the thing, you know, you yeah. don't see it a lot, depending yeah. on, I mean, that you, you're who and who gets seen and who you see is, um, you know, you is to some degree out of your control, I guess, you know, Facebook decides how they're going to what they're going to show you and, right. and that sort of thing. So I, I think that a lot of people that were uh, relying on Facebook as a way to market classes and workshops. I, I think that some of that is not, you know, not as much, not as helpful as it used to be. Right. Because it doesn't, it doesn't get out there the way that it did before, which is too bad. Yeah. I mean, but um, yeah. Yeah. So I think you find other, you know, people, then, then you just have to find other ways to do it. I think strangely enough, email marketing, which, Mm-hmm. You know, a number of years ago, people said, oh, well, emails, email will be dead and that <laughs> sort of thing. But I think it's actually probably c- 
consistently the best way to reach people uh, to market for the kind of thing I do anyway. And, and it seems to be something that, um, you know, Amazon and other people think is a pretty good idea to, yeah. to keep doing too. So, <laughs> so it's funny how that it's, it's, it's old school, but it's still, it still works. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I think everybody's email is just, you know, probably 85%, uh, you know, a target ad or uh, Amazon or whatever. Yeah, yeah. This is ridiculous I mean, it's, it's how many email lists we're on. It's the way that you know that you, I mean, it's the best way to know that someone is, is at least have the option or the opportunity to to look at something that you're sending them. And, and the other thing is, obviously, if you build a list that's made up of people who want to hear from you, who've indicated that they, you're not right. just, you know, spamming the world, but you've actually created a list of people who have, have indicated that they want to get this information. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's probably the best way to do it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's amazing and it's free. I mean, which is probably, mm-hmm. you know, the greatest That's the part other about really it. good thing. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> and it's and it's like, and it's pretty passive too for the person receiving it. You know, you don't have to do anything. You just, you know, if you don't care to read it, you can just swipe and delete it really fast or, or click, you know. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. thinking of yeah. phone, phones, ex- of course, ex- but ex- yeah. But it's, I mean, it's great because it's not, you're not requiring the person who receives it to do anything. And if they're interested, they can open it up and, and, and read and, um, you know, but, it, but it's that thing where, um, let's say you buy, buy a magazine ad or something, right? Incredibly expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, incredibly expensive and it takes, you know, probably over a year of people seeing the same ad over and over again for it to even register in their mind that, Oh yeah, I do like that person's stuff or, or don't yeah. you even kind of notice it, but you can do the same thing with email marketing totally for free. And I think it has the same effect. You know, you could see it. I mean, I know I do this. I'm sure everybody does. You get you're on email lists and, and you chose to be on the email list, but, half the time or most of the time you choose to not even open the email, but, but you're glad that it comes right. in because sometimes you, you take the time to open it up and, and read it. Um, and I don't know, it just seems like it, it's kind of great for both sides. <laughs> I, I think that's right. I really do. And the other thing is if you, um, you know, if you use, uh, depending on, on what you use, I mean, I use, a. um, Emma, but you know Mailchimp mm-hmm. and yeah. some of the others. I know my the the system that I use will, can you know basically tell me whether or not a particular email that I've sent what kind of response I'm getting and compare it to responses of other emails and oh, whether people whether people opened it and if they did open it what did they click on did they click on you know if there were like five links did you know how how many people clicked on this one? How mm-hmm. many people clicked on that one? So if you're really, if you're really paying attention, you can fine tune that's great your your email in a way that makes it more useful to the people yeah. who 
ask to receive it and hopefully also better for you because they actually open it or when they do open it, they click on it or whatever yeah. it might be. So, so you can spend some time, but you don't have to spend any money right? or very much money anyway to, yeah. um, to, to know about all of that and then to figure out well, what is the best way for me to deliver this information to people in a way that they're more likely to, you know, be interested in and to look at it. So, yeah. So I think it's, it's, it's a whole new thing. I mean, from when I started doing this back in 2008 or nine or whatever, um, that to now it's a, it's a very, very different, very different situation, but it, and, and very different ways of reaching people. But the bottom line is that it's, at least for me, it, it's all still tied into email for the most part. Mm-hmm. And also just building a list of people over time in a very natural way that right. indicate that they're interested in what it is that you are wanting to show them and mm-hmm. and having them respond. So, And is, really, is that basically really through... through um through your website, through your personal website and the, the Atelier website where people are, where you're capturing those emails? Um, most of them. Yeah. I get them. I, people who, people who essentially sign the guest book on one of those websites and mm-hmm. indicate their interest in particular things. But, mm-hmm. but also, um, you know, some, sometimes they'll send me an email with an inquiry about classes. They've okay. seen it online. Yeah. And, um, and I think, I think when people are just also people are looking for things like that more. So in other words, they may find you online, they may find your work online just randomly, and then they find out that you teach classes. And so they want to know about that, or mm-hmm. they may be looking specifically for classes. And so they find you that way and then they inquire. So, um, it's, you know, it's out there and people, people find it and then they respond to you and then they get on the list and that's, that's the way it works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to ask you a little bit about a little bit more about the, the teaching online. Um, do you use any special software for that? Any kind of like, uh, portals or anything like that? Or, or is it just kind of basically through email? Um, well, it's, it's actually not, not through e- email. It. Um, I started out, and I still do teach my online classes using uh, a private blog. Hmm. And so, one of the things that I, when I first started the classes, one of the things that I really wanted to do was to make it very simple and low tech, so mm-hmm. that lots of people could participate people who didn't necessarily have great computer skills, but, but were were still interested in, in trying this. Mm-hmm. And I've really held to that over, you know, over the, the eight or nine years, I've, I've really resisted trying to make it more technically complicated for people. So I still use a private blog that, Acts that is essentially an online classroom slash studio, mm-hmm. and I post 
content, written content to the blog. I also have videos which are linked to the blog so that people can go to those videos and look at them. And um, then I post assignments and students post their work. I respond. They're all able to see one another's work. And so the best classes, the best classes are those where students are interacting with me, but they're also interacting with one another. And they actually sort of form these online friendships, which is very nice. Yeah, Uh, sure. Many, many students will end up taking a number of classes and they'll take, they'll be in the same class with other students that they've been in class with before. And so they, uh, they know one another and they know one another's work and they share, you know, what the, what's going on. So I, I try to make it as personal a situation as it can be in terms of encouraging people to, um, you know, interact with other students and to be encouraging to one another. And um, I, I'm, pretty much uh, I'm responsive in terms of being on the blog at least two times a day so that there's always something happening. People are always posting their work. I'm always posting something. I'm always either reviewing their work and giving them uh, feedback or I'm posting new material. I I like to include a lot of different things in my classes. I include uh, not only just, technical instruction, uh, but I also include a lot of information about things like art history, um, giving them master paintings and drawings to look at and to work from. Cool. I try to provide a, I try to provide a context. I have uh, a reading list that is usually, um, you know, challenging and provokes discussion and nice. Um, you know, really, I really try to stretch people as much as possible and to get them engaged and excited about, about what they're learning and, and to put the, to put the, um, the experience of learning the technical side, the craft of drawing and painting in the con in the larger context of, of art and Mm -hmm. history and landscape painting and what we're doing and why we're doing it and who did it before and why we should always really be excited about it. (laughs) So that's, you know, that's really, that's really what I'm trying to do in my classes. And, and I've pretty much kept the format the same um, during all this time. I I obviously upgraded video and Mm -hmm. uh, those kinds of things, but, um, but the, fairly low tech way of dealing with it. I have found for me, it has worked the best. I'm able to um, encourage people who really don't feel don't, you know, or not don't have a a lot of knowledge about tech or anything else. And and I can usually get anybody on there and get them to the point where they can post their work and participate and enjoy it. And the other thing is it's, um, I have students from all over the world, so we're all in different time zones. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, all of that kind of thing. So I, it, it, it never made any sense for me to organize the classes in a way that you had to be there at a particular time for a live demo or yeah. something like that. So I always wanted it to be a forum where people could come in and interact 
on their own time schedule. They're people who are working full time. Maybe they only have a chance to you know, work in the evenings or on the weekends or mm-hmm. they're in a different time zone or whatever it may be. So yeah. it, it's, it's very open-ended in that way, in the sense that people can come in and post their work or make comments or ask questions at any time of the day. And um, they can, because I'm very actively part of it and I'm, I'm online at least a couple of times a day, you know, they'll, they'll know that they're going to get a response from me mm-hmm. in a fairly short period of time. Yeah. That's, man, that's really smart. I really, I really like the idea of keeping it, you know, pretty low tech. And then of course, that's the beauty of, of, of online is that it's, 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 you know, it's on your own time, you know? Exactly. Um, exactly. Uh, and that's really, so important. That's yeah. so important because people, you know, we all have different schedules. And as I said, there are people all over the world in different time zones taking this class. So it's um, in order to be able to, for everyone to participate, you really have to run it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's just, you know, there's really, it's so hard to, you know, if if people are already sort of wrapped up in, you know, a family life and, and maybe even another career, um, it's so hard to drop all of that and go spend four years at an atelier attending, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, studying all day long, uh, you know, moving somewhere and, and showing up to a studio all day long for two, three, four years. Uh, so, you know, obviously you're able to to attract uh, from a much wider net doing it in this way. Yeah. Well, I mean, most people can't do that. I mean, the reality is they just can't. And, but that doesn't mean that you don't have a lot of really passionately interested people who want, want more information. And they also want really high level instruction. They want Mm -hmm. something, they want something that's going to challenge them. That something is going to really teach them what they want to know about this. I mean, I have a wide variety of students. They're, they're people who are, um, you know, Sunday painters. They're people who are serious amateurs. They're people who are already professional artists. Mm-hmm. I have a, a number of students, a, a growing number of students actually, who have either studied or graduated from classical ateliers who are very interested in landscape painting and feel like they need more more instruction in landscape yeah. painting and so they they are looking for that so it's it's a it's a really interesting mix of people but I, you're able to reach as you said you can cast a, a, a much wider net and so, um yeah you can help help people who wouldn't ordinarily be able to have that level of instruction because the cost associated with, you know, even mm-hmm. taking a workshop is an expensive oh, proposition. Yeah. Um, yeah. And most people are very often, you know, are not in a position to be able to do that. And the other thing is when you teach an online class, you have a much longer period of time. So it's not a three day or a five day workshop. The, right. the classes are the, my normal online classes are four to six weeks. So they have a much longer period of time to work with with me and to work through the information in the class and to do their own work. And 
that's really helpful too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So how much of how much of these classes it seems like this setup would really lend itself to um you know really personalizing the experience for each student. So do you do any of that or or you does everyone kind of working through the curriculum even if they're you know it just seems like that might be a little bit difficult if you have people at different you know skill levels and experience levels um so how does mm -hmm. that work like do do you ever do any sort of personalizing of the curriculum or I do with with my online classes with if someone is just simply enrolled in online classes then that the material in the class is uh, the content of the class is, is pretty much what it is. And mm -hmm. I, I deal with each student individually during the class and right. try to respond to them and give them feedback based on what their, what I think their experience level is and, and what they're able to do in the context of, of the information that I'm teaching in that particular class. In the atelier program, which is a longer two-year program, uh, where people have signed on for a you know a, a more um, uh, a more a, pro a program that is essentially they've committed to 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 take for a longer period of time and for a more concentrated uh, course of study. That's mm -hmm. completely individualized, and that's based on. Oh, okay where that's based on where each student is when they enter the program. And uh, that's where, you know, for example, I teach a six week online drawing class. Well, the, the students that are in the atelier program are actually, you know, they may spend six months on drawing depending on the level of experience that they have when they come into the program and that sort of thing. So that's, that's a much more, and so it's a much bigger commitment, obviously, and, and many people are not able to do that. So yeah. it's, it's a good thing that I can, I can offer both because what suits one person to take an online class every two or three months, you know, the other person may want something more and, and be more interested in a more um, challenging overall course of study. Mm -hmm. So, so we have both. Yeah, I, uh, that's great. I, it's it's really smart to to offer those two different kind of uh, options too. I think, you know, just because so often, you know, people can't commit and they want they can, but they still want to learn. They still want. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that's really smart. And and very often, and usually, what I do for people who are interested in the atelier program. I say, look, you need to take two online classes before because I want to make sure that they are, you know, that they're, that they like the online format. They like mm, the yeah. way that I teach. They understand how the information is delivered. What, how does, how does the feedback work? Um, my online classes are very challenging and the atelier program is even more challenging. So if they, if they can't, you know, there, there's a joke among my online students about, you know, there's only like 1% of the people who, you know, take the classes ever do all, they, ever, as they say, quote unquote, do all the homework. Um, yeah. And so uh, I'm able to judge, and so is the student, whether or not they can take on an even heavier burden. Uh, and, and, and what I don't want to do is 
overface somebody. I want I want someone to be in the program that's right for them, for them right. to take the right the right class or to study in the right way mm-hmm. for what they have going on in their lives at that particular moment. And yet, I don't want to dumb it down. I want to give them a really really high quality um, experience in terms of in terms of learning how to draw and paint. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, so what are some of the things that you're kind of gearing up for in your personal work right now? Shows coming up, or? Well, I I just finished uh, from since 2014. I I've done two big solo shows, and just the last one was uh, was in September of last year. So it's been a year ago, which is hard to believe. Mm-hmm. So my main goal was not to commit myself to do that again <laughs> for a while. Yeah. Um, and to sort of work, work on my work and see, see where it, see where it takes me. Um, and so that's what I've been doing for the last year. And actually, to be honest, I had to, because I had had these two shows back to back and I, I really had to, you know, when you do a solo show, you're, the good news is you're doing a solo show. The bad news is you're doing a solo <laughs> show, which means that you yeah. you can't you can't do work for other venues. You can't do work for other galleries. Oh, you, you can, yeah. but it's it's difficult. And so, you know, your other galleries are not happy, or they're you haven't been able to get them new work. And so, I've really spent most of this year since since last September getting new work out to some of my galleries and mm-hmm. uh, sort of refreshing the, the, the offerings that they had and, and uh, that sort of thing. So that, that's yeah. been my primary thing that I've been working on for the last, for the last year. I'm also working on a writing project. So that's been taking up some time and um, like uh, putting out a book or. Well, I, I'm I'm working on one right cool. now. I'm working on one, so I I can't say much more about it than that. But I'm I am working on one, and so that All that right. takes up a lot of time too. Yeah. And um, but it's a it's a really it's an exciting project. So that's that's happening, and cool. um, but I also have just some some motifs from some of my, from my previous shows that I feel like I didn't totally explore. There's yeah. some things that I want to go back and, and work on. I did some pretty large scale landscapes for the first show. The largest piece in that show was uh, 72 by 96. Wow. And so I'm, I'm, Kind of getting a hankering to paint some big paintings again. Really? So cool. Th- there may be, I don't know if I'll paint that big, but but <laughs> I'm I'm interested in this winter. I'm interested in maybe working on some larger pieces in the studio. Cool, cool. Um, what's your uh, just going back a, a little bit? What's your overall take on on the one man show? Like, are you? Um, is it worth it? Are you? <laughs> Would you rather, uh, you know, just just supply all, just keep supplying all the different galleries, or, or, yeah, I guess that's my basic question: Is it worth it? <laughs> well, 
You know, yes and no. I mean, <laughs> it it it, it kind of depends on where. First of all, I think going back to what we talked about earlier, it it depends on where you are in your career. Yeah, I, I think that I think that when we're starting out, all of us think, oh, I want to have a solo show. I want right. to be the, you know, be the. I want to have my work, you know, in a in a show where people can come in and really see what I can do, and mm-hmm. and and I think that it's. Um, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a curse and it's a blessing. I mean, it's a wonderful opportunity if you're prepared for it. And if you are, if you're, if you're mature enough, if you, and, and by that, I mean, if your work, work is mature enough, mm-hmm. um, it, it can be a really wonderful opportunity, a really, really wonderful opportunity. But you also have to understand the uh, consequences. And some of those consequences are financial yeah, particularly in the short run, uh, and I think that's what most people don't uh, focus on or really understand until they get into it. So let's say you've you've agreed to do a solo show, and it's that show is a year out. In my case, both of my solo shows were like two years out because they were really really big shows, like mm-hmm. almost fifty pieces in oh, the wow. first show, and so oh, wow. yeah, and it was a it was a two two year you know, so it was a two year block of time, but you know, probably the more typical would be maybe a year out or something Mm -hmm. like that. And during that time, you're not, you're, you're either not producing work for other galleries or other shows, or you're producing it at, you know, you're not producing as much. Right. And two things happen. Number one, you're not selling as much work, other work, and you can't sell any of the work that you're doing for the solo show either. Yeah. So you're between a rock and a hard place in terms of cash flow from yeah. in terms of your in terms of your painting sales. And I think probably many people are not prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Um, that they're not really thinking about that. That you're and yeah, you're you're going to sell some. Pay- pieces prior to the show so you can have some pre-sales and there'll be some money coming in from that but yeah. that's you know that's down the road that's not in the first six or eight months that you you know that you're working on this work and the other thing is it can it can potentially be damaging to your relationships with your other galleries. yeah sure sure if if they they can be very unhappy with you if you're not getting work to them or they feel like they're getting work that isn't you know, the, the top tier of what you're doing. It's not your right. A yeah. game. And so you have to be really uh, concerned with trying to keep your gallery relationships intact during the course of time that you're working on the show. And then you have the whole risk factor that goes along with showing a new body of work, which is, you know, are people, how are people going to respond to it? Mm-hmm. And is it going to sell? And yeah. if you've not, if you, if your sales have been off during the year that you're making the work for the show and then you don't sell or it doesn't sell as well, um, you know, that's yeah. difficult. And right. even if it does sell really well, then, you know, one of those things, it, it's kind of hard to make yourself do it, but then to sit down and really put pencil to paper and say, okay, well, did I make more money than I would have made had yeah. I just been 
doing what I was doing before. Mm-hmm. And it's not all about that. Obviously, the, you, you make a decision to have a show for a number of reasons and making money is maybe one of them, but it's not, you know, it may not even be the first, you know, first, second or third reason why you do it. But I do think as a small business person, which is what we mm-hmm. all are, mm-hmm. you have to at some point look at that. You have to be realistic and, and know know what you're doing. At least yeah. go into it with your eyes open, not with some, you know, idea that, oh well, this will this will all work out in the end. Because it's it it has a long term effect. I mean, like I said, it's not only during the the year or so that you're getting ready for it, but then you have the show and <clears throat> you know, then, then hopefully you sell well or the work sells, you know, over some period of time after the show. Mm-hmm. But um, then you got to jump right back in and start getting new right. work done for, <laughs> for other galleries. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a mixed blessing. Yeah. I, I would say that it is worth it. If, if you, if, if you're trying to accomplish something specific, if right. you have a goal for the right. show that is not necessarily if you have a goal for the show and you're able to you're able to you understand and are willing to accept the financial risk that goes with it right both leading up to and at the show if you if you're in a situation where you can uh, you can do that you're mm-hmm. you're not jeopardizing you know, your financial stability by doing that and you have another really good reason for wanting to do the show, then yeah, for sure. Right. right. You know, if, if you feel like you're working with a, a good gallery or other venue that is really going to give you, um, you know, going to give you a, a good show and a good location and access to a lot of eyeballs, you know, yeah, um, yeah. and, and collectors who, who could really be interested in your work. That's the other thing you have to, <clears throat> all shows are not created equal. So you have to, you have to say to yourself, all of those risks are this, is this venue and is this gallery and are these people mm, yeah. able to deliver on their side of the equation? Mm-hmm. Assuming that I do my, uh, I do my part. Are they people who can deliver do you know enough about them? Uh, do you have enough yeah. track re- record with them or you know enough about their track re- record with other artists or whatever it might be to be able to say, yes, I think they can do something here. Mm-hmm. And I'm so I'm going to, I'm going to go with this. Yeah. So that's, a, it's that's a, a great it, point. Yeah. It's a, you know, that I think, you know, particularly early in the game, a lot of artists are, are, you know, oh, this person owns a gallery. Well, all that meant means is that they rent some space. <laughs> That's um, right. That's so, right. Uh-huh. And and their inventory all belongs to the artist. You know, they didn't have to they didn't have to spend a hundred thousand dollars inventory. <laughs> they you know they got yeah. it all on consignment. There are not right. a lot of businesses that operate that way. No, but galleries no. do. Um, so all galleries are not created equal, and they can't give you the same opportunities and so mm-hmm. that's part of what you judge when you're deciding whether or not to to do a show is can this gallery deliver if i deliver you know it's my responsibility to do my part but if, mm-hmm. if i do my part can they do their part and then on top of that am i willing to or can i financially take the risk 
over this extended period of time and yeah. understand the impact on, on the rest of my career. Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, that's a long answer to a short question. But no, that's a, a, <laughs> that's a, that's a really a fantastic answer. Thank you. Um, because yeah, I, I think that, I think that kind of, um, really gives a true picture of, of what it is. And, and I think it's really important that artists go into it with their eyes wide open and taking all of those things into consideration. And I think it's a great point that, that really, um, basically, uh, unless you have like a long track record of, you know, where you've built up, you know, you got money in the bank and you have a, a track record of, of having successful shows, you know, really, it shouldn't be done thinking that it's going to be a great financial success. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, really, it's got to be, yeah, you kind of have to go into it thinking, um, this could be something that, that boosts my career, I guess, you know, and maybe kind of gets me out there quickly and, and gets the ball rolling and, and maybe, you know, can begin a, a, a collector base, you know, if, like you said, if, if the gallery is doing uh, their part of the work, um, all those things can be great, but, but yeah, if it's, well, I think, I think the other, the other point you just touched on that, which I think is really important for, for for young artists to to be aware of and to remember is that we we have this idea that you, you something will happen and it will be the big break it will be the thing that mm-hmm. you know you get into this really great gallery and then everything from there on out is fabulous and you mm-hmm. sell all your work and you know you sell it before it walks out the studio <laughs> and whatever it might be but um that really isn't the way it works. It's usually not one thing. It's usually an accumulation of things. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a number of things that happen over a longer period of time where you get maybe an article in a magazine and then you, uh, a, a particular gallery picks you up and then because of that, uh, a collector finds your work and then maybe you get a commission because of that and then there's another magazine and then, you know, the, so it's it's always a it's an accumulation of things mm-hmm. and it, it and and the other thing is it comes in fits and starts right. it's like nothing is happening for <laughs> some period of time nothing and then yeah. all of a sudden two or three things happen and then so that you have to be prepared for that it's, mm-hmm. you have to really you have to really be in it for the long haul and and to know that it's not going to be one gigantic thing that's going to happen and, and change everything. It's not like winning a lottery or something. Right. right. I mean, that, that I'm sure that happens occasionally to people, mm-hmm. but, but, but most people know, and even, even people who have big things happen to them. I mean, if you go back and sort of look, dissect it and look at what really happened, you'll see that there were this long train of things that happened before the big thing happened. And, yeah. And so, I think that's I think that having that understanding that when you start out and and having it in your head that this is a a long-term proposition and that you're you're building a career but you're also building your work this is 
just mm-hmm. like your career, your work is going to take time to v- develop and mature and uh, it's going to, it's also going to be in fits and starts. There's going to be times when you feel like nothing is going right and you don't really know where you want your work to go. And then you work through that. You keep, you show up every day and you work through it. And then all of a sudden you think you see a way that you want to go and, you know, you follow that and then the next thing happens. So you never get to a point where you're just coasting. You're always, Mm -hmm. and that's the thing that makes it so exciting and so (laughs) interesting and so compelling is that you're always, you know, it's always just out of reach. Um, Whether you're talking about the thing, whether you're talking about the thing about your career or, but even more importantly, the work, the thing, the best work is always just the next thing. It's the next thing. It's the thing that keeps you going back to the studio every single day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Deborah, thank you so much. That was great. Is there anything else you you. want to uh, say to everybody before we sign off here? I I think I've talked enough. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, it was really great um, um, hearing your thoughts on, on those things. So, so thanks again. And thanks for, thanks for taking the time to spend with us today. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Okay, thanks again to Deborah Paris for a terrific interview. Go to DebraParis.com and the landscapeatelier.com to find out more about her and her artwork and her teaching. Um, and thanks to our sponsor, Face, the Figurative Art Convention and Expo being held in Miami at the Biltmore Hotel next month uh, in November. Seating is limited. To learn more, go to Figurative Art Convention. And if you enjoy this podcast, please spread the word. Tell your friends to listen and leave comments and ridiculously high ratings on iTunes. All of that stuff stuff helps. And um, if this podcast brings you so much joy that you find yourself wishing you could give me money, your prayers have been answered. There is now a donate button on the top right-hand side of the podcast page at dannygrantfineart.com. And there is now the studio podcast gear, swag, baby, t-shirts and a mug to be exact. Um, I'm going to be modeling that new t-shirt uh, over on uh, our Instagram page. Go uh, give us a follow at the studio podcast. Um, stay tuned for that and what else Um, I think that's it thank you uh, so much for listening you can email me danny at dannygrantfineart.com and I will talk to you all next time bye
Wow. Uh-huh.